Hi, I'm, I'm Mastin, and this is my wife, Angie Worley. In April, we will celebrate 25 years of marriage, and next month in November, we will celebrate 30 years together. So we dated for quite some time before we got married, and um, we were just so in love with each other. Um, <laughs> got married, um, had been married for two or three years and struggled with infertility. Um, that really took a toll on our relationship. We um, really wanted to have kids. We um, finally, you know, had our family and things were going okay. Um, but just like with life and everything else, um, kids bring a whole new dynamic into the relationship. Um, I think with kids it kind of felt like it was me and the kids and then I think Mastin felt sort of like an outsider. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, after the first and then the second kid, um, and then uh, Angie decided we made the decision for Angie to stay home with the kids um, while I worked. It really put me on the put me on the outside, and there really wasn't a ton of opportunity, or we didn't take a ton of opportunity for um, to really come together, you know, as a family and really focus on building our marriage. Why we were building our family. So as we just went along, you know, we each probably had our hurts um, and then you know it's a scar and you protect and you, uh, you keep moving forward thinking okay this is somehow magically going to work out um, but it doesn't and if you don't address the problems they just grow um, and you can have resentment and bitterness and you lose your ability to really connect with each other to have um, any sort of intimacy. So with building um, resentment and lots of scars um, and um, the lack of intimacy led to uh, an infidelity on my part. Um, so I went outside of our marriage to look for that comfort, um, which also led to uh, two children. Um, so we not only did we compound by not really seeking the right kind of help um, or any kind of help, but we also I also compounded that problem even further by adding two children from outside of our marriage. You know, I can remember I, I didn't want to see those two children. Um, you know, it was a source of pain to me and um, you know, it, I just thought, how is this ever going to work in our relationship? How are we going to stay married? And I remember um, my mom <laughs> said to me when she found out, you know, honey, this doesn't mean that it has to be the end of your marriage. Um, you know, if you really love each other, then if you want to make that work, you know, God can get in the middle of it. And I just remember thinking, mom, you know, like, what are you talking about? And um, she just encouraged me to, you know, hey, I'm not saying that you should, but you should really talk with Mastin and try to get to the bottom of it. And so we did try to do that when that first happened. Yeah, I would say that at that point, hearing those words from from mom um, really started our journey, or my journey specifically, um, of reconciliation of our marriage with God. We definitely weren't on the same page um, at our first attempt at counseling together. Um, and so we kind of went um, our individual paths to really reconciling, you know, ourselves. Once we were able to work through those things with counseling and um, uh, a lot of time, 
um, and prayer, uh, we uh, were able to, to then come back together and really start to work on um, our relationship and our marriage. Um, what I've come to understand about you know, uh, marriage and making it right is that you know, love is great. You know, love is, is a, a great feeling and an emotion. And, um, but what really keeps a marriage going is discipline and determination. Discipline with your relationship with God, discipline to your relationship with your wife, um, and the determination to really show her that she's before you. Um, one of the things that we picked up along the way is in a, in a marriage, it's God first and your spouse next. And you know, I had to own my own issues in our marriage. Um, I wasn't putting Mastin first um, when it came to our children. And I, you know, I had to realize the same thing that he did. You know, God first, then your spouse, and then your children. And when you align like that, it just all falls into place. So that's how marriage mentoring really played into the part of this. But I would say that bigger than anything, it was God that pulled us together. And I'm, I'm really happy to say today that we're, we're pretty happy. We're I pretty mean, happy. We're not perfect. Just yesterday, we snapped at each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm also happy to say that we not only have two children, we have four children now. Um, and I love them genuinely with all my heart and God showed me that they are beautiful creation that he made and no matter how they got here um, they are to be loved and respected and revered and um, they're part of our family and um, praise God that he did a good work in our children and 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 those children which are all four are ours and um, it's really a miracle I mean I have to say it is truly a miracle from God that he helped us see how we could do this, how we could put it back together. It's an amazing story, isn't it? We asked uh, our marriage uh, mentoring folks, Swidex and Meskers, do you have a, a story somebody could share about reconciliation? And they served that up, and Mastin and Angie shared a story that really fits in the context of this series, talking about our 10 core values, talking about authenticity, representing ourselves, how we are. Uh, it's a great uh, example of that. And also that healing and reconciliation isn't something you can usually do on your own. It requires the help of others. And so community is really important, a place to do reconciliation within. And so uh, it's, we just thought it would be a great way to tee off this thought about reconciliation. And uh, reconciliation, one of our 10 core values, as we have worded it, uh, I'm going to read it for you. All I'm going to ask you to do is say the first two words, we believe. Say it like you believe it. That's it. We believe a right relationship with God is essential for achieving reconciliation. I'll stop there. I believe that Christians should be the best reconcilers there are because we have that relationship with Christ. And um, uh, reconciliation among family members, races, and denominations. And so there's lots of ways that that applies in our everyday lives, in our culture. And definitions of reconciliation include to, to bring into agreement or harmony, to restore, the act of coming to an understanding and putting an end to, to hostility, uh, agreeing to an amicable truce. So however those apply, I want you to think about, and some of you already are just hearing 
Uh, Mastin and Angie share their story. There are relationships running through your mind, faces, people, things that have been said or done uh, at different stages of being reconciled or not. You can think about our, our city, our culture, our world, and the need for that. And so I invite you to do a deeper dive with us today. And if you have the CLC app, you can follow along. The first thought is that it starts and comes from God. And of the verses that we sort of selected to undergird this value, one is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. That means if you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in Christ. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, not everybody, but... So, you're a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I've said this many times, that the original language gives us a little deeper understanding. It's old things pass away and continue to pass away. All things become new and continue to become new. So it's an ongoing process of renewal and transformation. I'm not done becoming like Jesus yet. i got a ways to go. I assume you're in the same, same category. So we're in process. And so... Uh, all these things are from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, their sins against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When Jesus left the planet after he was crucified, buried, resurrected, and spent time uh, revisiting his followers, he left the planet and he passed along to us his mission going to all the world to make disciples. His, his role was to be a reconciler. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that he had not completed yet. And so we are to carry that on, to make disciples, and we are to be reconcilers of those who are not. And there's different ways that that reconciliation happens. It's important, though, that we realize that it's impossible to have reconciliation if you continue to keep score and you won't let go, and you won't forgive. Because it says Jesus didn't count their sins, their trespasses, against them. It is hard to forgive. Sometimes it's impossible to forget. But we have to choose to forgive and to let go of the offenses of someone else if we're going to be reconciled. And uh, the, the new person that you are is different than the old person that you are because my old man liked to hold grudges. How about yours? Like to remember offenses. Like to say, yeah, but. Like to justify me based on what you did. And we kind of compare and we kind of rank ourselves. And, well, what I did isn't what you did. So we're really good at that. And yet that's the old man. That's the old you. You're new. The new person forgives sins. The new person gives grace, uh, not resentment. And as Christians, the body of Christ sees past the differences to our unity. It's not only relational reconciliation. It's also reconciliation of our culture. If there's ever a time for that, that it's needed, it's now. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, For you all are, are all children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you haven't been baptized, by the way, stop by the Welcome Center, let them know. They'll be glad to schedule that. 
There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus, or Paul there, was identifying the, the various divisions in culture at that time, and there was a uh, real tension between Jews and everybody was not a Jew, that Greeks or Gentiles. Um, and as I looked at this verse, I, I did a word study I hadn't done before, and it kind of struck me. Uh, with just a aha kind of a moment on what Paul's getting at here. First of all, he's in the original language, he says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And we kind of said, okay, should it be sons or children? The NIV translates it children to go with the gist of it. But this, 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 the word there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. A more literal translation of that is not neither, but cannot be. So there cannot be Jew or Greek. There cannot be slave or free man. There cannot be male or female, for you're all one in Christ. So you can't be focusing on, well, you're this and I'm that. You're this and I'm that. You're this and I'm that. There's not the division between us. We see each other's differences, and we value that, but we don't prejudge each other by that or hold it against them or act like I'm superior and you're not. There just can't be that. In the body of Christ, say, it just can't be. So we see each other as creating God's image, we see each other as a brother or sister in Christ, and we celebrate our differences, and we, we don't make uh, focus on the minors, if you will. And so I want you to do something with me, a little exercise. Now, you'll notice I didn't ask you to read the value. Some of you are like, oh, great. So I'm going to do this instead, all right? So everybody stand up. Come on, just groan. Oh, oh, yeah, all right? I want you to find four people you are not sitting with that look different than you. They may be better looking or uglier, I don't know. <laughs> now you can wonder, all right, younger, older, their skin color might be different, they might have more or less, whatever. But I want you to find four people to look different from you and just point at them and say, we are family. Go on, go for it, do it. We are family. We're family. We're family. We're family. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Part of me kind of wishes in 33 years of doing annoying exercises like, exercise like that, that I would have videotaped you, All right? Because there's all kind of reactions. Some of you are like, you know, you just give a nod, you know, do the point, you know. Some of you are like, all right. Some of you are like, <laughs> so. But we are, we're family. Different but we're supposed to be one. We're reconciled. We get along perfectly. Not. Nah. But see, that's, that's the beauty of it, is that when we don't, we can find common ground and reconcile and not be divided. And yet, at least that's what we should do, but sadly, I find lots of us in the body of Christ, we get an issue, we get an offense, and poof, we're out of there. Rather than how do we wrestle forward in that? And so uh, the next thought is that the ultimate reconciliation is urgent. I want to talk about two kinds of reconciliation, sort of the ultimate one and then a secondary one that is right there with it. Uh, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus, or Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, this is in the same section, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, if you're not in that category, what's he talking about? Well, in Isaiah chapter 55, 59, verse 2, 
He says, your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. And that sin creates a separation because it's, it's moral imperfection, however you want to look at it, from a morally perfect God. And so if I try to mix my sinfulness with God's perfection, I ruin that perfection. So God's in heaven, I'm not. And someday I plan to be there. But if, if they let me into heaven as I am, all right, Stan's imperfection will ruin the place. So there is, there is a chasm that separates us, and I can't get there from here unless I'm made perfect through Jesus Christ. And because he shed his blood for me and I asked him to forgive me of my sins, he cleanses me of that unrighteousness and I, put my, and I am reconciled to God through Christ. If you have not made that decision today to ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins, then your sin is on you. And you've got a choice. You can choose to surrender your life to Christ. You can choose to live with Christ in this life. And if you do, there's one thing we all have in common. All of us are going to die unless the rapture happens first. But we're going to die. All of us are going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. Intuitively, I believe we know that. Nobody had to tell you that when this life is over, it's not over. There's a sense that there's something more to that. The Bible clarifies that. There's heaven or hell. And if you, if you put your trust in Christ and you choose to live for Christ and with Christ in this life, you'll be with Christ in the next. That's heaven. But if you reject Christ in this life, then you'll spend your next life without him, and that's hell. All of us will be in the eternity of our choosing. Well, I didn't choose hell. Yeah, you, you choose by choosing not to. If a bus comes up, you choose to get on the bus and go where it's going, or you choose not to get on the bus, and then you don't go there. You have an invitation to accept Christ. You can choose to say yes to the invitation, and so know that in doing that, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says, and you say, he died on the cross for me, and you're going to be in heaven. If you choose not to accept that, then that choice you've made as well. If I could, as Paul has, we beg you to be reconciled to God. I, if I could beg you into heaven... I would do that in a heartbeat. If I could manipulate you into heaven, I would do that. If I could scare you into heaven, I would do that. And when we get to heaven, you'd thank me for whatever tactic I used, but I can't. You've got to make the choice. And so if you're not a believer yet, if you haven't cho chosen to follow Christ, let today be, as the Bible says, the day of salvation. As this service goes on, we'll have a prayer time. Just personally pray, pray your own prayer in your own words. Asking Christ to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and Savior. And stop by the Welcome Center when you leave and they'll pray with you, give you some material and explain what you did. But I beg you to do that as Paul did. And there's also an urgency because as I, I'm not going to re-preach last week or that Wednesday in the summers, but the Bible is clear that human history as we know it, human earthly history has a beginning and an end. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then you go, to, you, you see how we messed up God's creation. And you go to Revelation, the end of the Bible, and, and the second to last chapter of the Bible, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible gives predictions of what it's going to be like as we get near the end of earthly human history. And boy, it is knocking at the door. And so 
time is limited and you need to make a choice and it's urgent for you to choose. It's also urgent for those of us who are the body of Christ to make sure, as we talked last week, we share Christ with as many people as possible so they can make the choice before it's too late. So the first thought is that the ultimate reconciliation is urgent. But there's another reconciliation that is also urgent. Listen to the urgency Jesus brings to it. It's relational reconciliation. Far too many of us are like this with people uh, and things haven't gone well and we have done nothing to try to reconcile that and it does them harm and us harm. And in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 23, it's not on the screen, Jesus says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. So if you're coming to church and you're in worship and you are worshiping God and you realize all this bitterness and animosity between you and somebody, go fix that. Because that's more important than this. Go make it right. Now, in your defense, there are some people that won't have it made right. There are some people that are unforgiving, difficult, ungrace-giving or receiving people. And that's where Paul kind of qualifies that a little bit in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He said, if possible, say if. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. He doesn't say be BFFs, you know, with all people, all right? If it's possible, as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. But there are times that it's not possible depending on you. You cannot make them want to reconcile or want to forgive or be forgiven or get along. And so there are times that you don't, as Jesus said, you don't throw your pearls before swine and, and keep going after going after when it's just dysfunctional. There are times you need to have some healthy boundaries. But in general, we should pursue reconciliation rather than harbor the resentment and unforgiveness and, and prejudging people. And so when it comes to reconciliation, it's kind of a long point, but reconciliation is practical and takes more intentional work than harboring resentment, unforgiveness, or prejudice. Do you have to practice resenting people? No. Just to practice not forgiving? No, it comes, it comes natural to us. That's our old way of doing things before we're transformed. It's much healthier and more biblical for us, though, to reconcile, to forgive. It's better for your emotional health, mental health, relational, physical, all that. It's healthier for us to reconcile and to forgive when it's possible. And if you go back to the value, it's reconciliation among family members. It's reconciliation among races, and denominations. And when we wordsmith this, you can go back to the mid-90s and Promise Keepers was a really big movement that we were a part of. And, and there was a lot of emphasis on how divided the body of Christ is, just Christians in general. It's amazing, entire church denominations spring up around some of the how-tos. Like there are denominations that they believe you baptize people this way. We believe you baptize them that way. You sprinkle them, you dunk them, you do it three times, whatever. How you do communion. And people divide over all that. And the, and the impetus is, and has been, if we could just unite ourselves uh, on our common ground, how much more could we possibly accomplish for God united rather than divide over petty issues? When it comes to reconciliation, 
when it comes to races, you know, the Bible is clear. It's an age-old problem that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And so just real quick, look at your hands. What color are they on a scale of dark to light? Are they darker or lighter? It's crazy. If you look at a mirror, you can see your, your facial features and whatnot. We judge people on their outward appearance. Just like that. And we figure what they're like based on what people like that look like that are like with no real significant consistent evidence to back that up. And so we prejudge people. And if there should be any place that we don't prejudge people, if there's any place where we, we reconcile our differences, it should be in the church family in the body of Christ. And... Our world needs that now more than ever. It's heartbreaking to see how much focus is on our division and it feels like we're getting more divided and hostile toward each other. And there's an inconsistency around the whole thing. And reconciliation among family members. Some of you have been distracted since you heard the testimony. Because it's not right with you and somebody that you'd like to be or should be close to. And maybe it's not reconcilable, or maybe you just haven't put the effort forth and you're feeling the inspiration to do that now. And so it's healthier, more biblical. So we close up by saying, think and pray about it. Uh, it's one thing to hear a sermon about reconciliation. Yeah, that's a great thing. But then it's very easy to change gears and be out of here and there's a busy day ahead and you've got places to go and things to do and games to watch and whatever and to get distracted away from it. And it's helpful for us just to, to meditate on things and to think about it and to reflect. And we're going to just scratch the surface of something we hope you take deeper. But we're just going to throw up some images and quotes dealing with reconciliation. And uh, you may agree with them. You may disagree with them. They're from a variety of perspectives. They're on different, they refer to different instances and needs in life. But just take a few prayerful moments and just think about it. Let the Holy Spirit take you down whatever rabbit trails you need to go down. And uh, maybe leave with an agenda or at the very least leave with, you know, I need to, I need to reflect on that and, and kind of ruminate on that more often, more intentionally so that my preset when I come across division, prejudging, irreconcilable situation, my preset is to how can I carry on the ministry of reconciliation Jesus gave to me? We're just going to play some underscore, show some images, and then we're going to conclude with a prayer and a time of communion. Watch these.
it's a good reminder that reconciliation is a spiritual process. It has to happen here and here before it can happen anywhere else. As you may agree or disagree, uh, the first slide was from an anti-apartheid activist, and I love the thought that reconciliation is not necessarily forgive and forget, but forgive and move forward. That may be as far as it goes for you. It's unreconciled, whether that's a relationship with family, with your ex, with someone that you knew in church or in your work world or whatever. And it may not be that it comes back together, but there is at least a coming to a place of releasing them from their offense, choosing to forgive them and kind of put them in God's hands. The idea of the best or the worst reconciliation better than the best divorce. It's quite a lot to think about the process. John Perkins was a civil rights activist and uh, in fact, dating back to the days of Martin Luther King, we had him speak with, uh, to us. Uh, we had a couple of churches together back in the 90s. He came and spent a weekend with us. And the whole idea of, of knowing where someone else is at and trying to understand their experience and life from their perspective and their pain, the injustice they've had to deal with, is significant in being in that ministry of reconciliation. If you just bow with me, I'll be quiet and allow the Lord to whisper to your heart. In what ways does he want you to carry on his ministry of reconciliation? And if there are relationships or attitudes you need to pray about, do it. If you haven't accepted Christ, as I mentioned earlier, this is a perfect time for you to pray a simple prayer in your words. Apologize for your sins and ask him to forgive you. And just in your own words, surrender. I surrender my life to you. Ask Him to be your Lord and Savior to guide you from this day forward. Lord, it's painful on this planet the division and the offenses that can happen between us the hurts and misunderstandings the, the way we prejudge other people without even knowing them it's a divided world and Satan seizes those divisions for a great opportunity for harm in our hearts, in our lives in our relationships, in our community it's no wonder you said blessed are the peacemakers they'll be called children of God. And it doesn't surprise us that as the reconciler, you gave us the ministry, your ministry of reconciliation. And so I pray you'd give us grace-filled hearts and minds and attitudes in our thoughts. How can we be that peacemaker, that reconciler? I pray likewise, Lord, as, as our hearts are stirred and some of us have specific instances or people or situations, that you would bring healing and healthy closure in a reconciling way to that and lead us forward. I pray that we would be healthy imitations of you as we talked last weekend of becoming Christ-like. And so we thought that we'd remember reconciliation at the close of this service by the ultimate reconciler, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and as I read the verse explaining that, if you didn't receive the elements when you came in, if you'll raise your hand, a section that will be glad to get them to you. 
But the Apostle Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as you hold that piece of bread that's broken and that cup that represents the blood of Christ, let our prayer be that God helps us in our brokenness and the brokenness of others to bring healing. And whenever I do a wedding and the couple takes communion in that moment between the three of us, I remind them that the cup speaks of the blood of Christ in healing and in forgiveness. And I have them promise to me in their wedding ceremony that there will be times that you need to seek forgiveness and you won't feel like it or you need to give forgiveness and you'll not want to, but you're making a pledge today that when it is needed to pursue, you will. When it's needed to give, you will give it. It's forgiveness. So Lord, as we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus we sang about that you forgive us and cleanse us first time every time and you restore our brokenness. And so help us to do the same as we fulfill the ministry of reconciliation you've given to us. Lord, let us give forgiveness as often as needed. Pursue it the same way. And Lord, use us to bring healing and wholeness to brokenness, whether it's on our lives, our relationships, our church, our community, or our world. And let us be a representation of Jesus to others. We ask it in your precious name. Let's take the bread and the cup together.
our freedom wasn't based on what we've done, by his goodness and his mercy. And uh, if you made that next step in following Jesus today, we want to invite you to our welcome center to my left, your right. And so we want to invite you there to take your next step in following Jesus, which we believe is water baptism. And we're having water baptisms next weekend. So if you never got water baptized, but you're interested in doing that, you can text water to that number. And we're going to have a big celebration next weekend for those who are taking that next step in following Jesus. With that being said, enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll see you on first Wednesday.